going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it, you can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube today. Not every day. Then you can catch us on pod, on, on, yeah, on the podcast. That's what it's called. After the show, it's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe is an acquired taste. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. All right, for today, we're going to be finishing up on our study in uh, Brother Ellis Schofield's um, slideshow presentation of the information that he put out in his Hidden Beast 2 series. This, this is the book you want. He's got another one, Hidden Beast, which is the first book. It was written a year or so before this one. It's kind of when he first caught on to it, and then he put the information out in a hurry. This is a better version of the book. This is the one you want if you can find it. He also does another book called Sozo, S-O-Z-O, Greek word for saved, you know, um, born again type saved. It's a white and black orange color book. Um, it's the same information, but it's a little bit more, it, it's, it's meant for people who have already read this. So if you can find this one, this is the book you want if you're interested in this material. The slideshow is meant to be talking points for when he went to churches to cover this material. So sometimes <clears throat> the talking, the slideshow is not as descriptive or doesn't have as good an explanation and doesn't walk you through all the things. It, it assumes that you know some things already. Um, you really need to have this under your belt. That's what I do. I help fill in the gaps on the slideshow that are missing. Before we get into it today, we're going to finish up today. Now, however long it takes, when we're done, we're done. So if we get done early, we're early. When we're late, late, whatever. We're going to finish this today. Got three things to go through. This is the part of the slideshow where I don't think Brother Schofield was necessarily seeing the clearest. Um, I don't know that he's wrong. So let me say that right up front. But I think in this case, there's certain pieces of the puzzle missing that tended to have him focused a little too much on Jews as opposed to Hebrews and a little bit too much on Islam as opposed to the different types of beasts in, in the book of revelation. Sometimes this stuff can get a little jumbled in your head when you're reading in the Greek, because you know, there's no punctuation to help you keep track of when you jump from one beast to another. So with that said, let's get ourselves back into our slideshow. I'll get everything lined up here so that we can get going. 
Charlie and Natasha will run the boards for us while I'm doing this. If we got any questions, please post them. They'll make sure they get up on the screen for me. So, messengers to the Christian era. He's Remember, he reads out of a King James Version of the Bible unless otherwise, otherwise stated. So, the Christian era, the Jewish people during this era. For me, this would be the married bride, the house of Judah, not Israel. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you read Israel. If you think Jew, you are wrong. But we covered that in a different class. Brother Schofield never really quite caught on to that. He sees the church. When you see Christian church, you should think house of Israel. But that's that was a different show. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. And I looked, and, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount, uh, Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. Now, to Brother Schofield, this represents all the redeemed of the Jews of the Christian era, redeemed of the house of, of Judah. I can't necessarily say he's wrong. It could also be, though, that that's representative of all the redeemed of the house of Jacob. The, the whole, both houses, it could be all saved people. Could be either. He thinks this is Jews. This is having his father's name written on their foreheads. That's why I don't think it's necessarily, quote-unquote, Jews. I think this is everybody that's been saved and is under the new covenant, but that's me. But doesn't it clarify, I thought, that it was 12,000 from each tribe, which would yes, the whole of but Israel. remember, right, that's the whole of Israel of, as I would understand it. But like I said, um, Brother Schofield doesn't necessarily see the two houses very clearly. Right. For him, it's the Jews and the Christians. He doesn't understand that Christians have been grafted into the house of Israel. So what he should be looking at is the two houses of the Hebrew family. Right, right. Yes. Yes. And I know for some of you, if you have not been keeping up, today is going to be the most confusing day to just pop into this show. If you haven't been through one of our classes on the prophecies of Ephraim and the two houses, today is going to be tough. And I'm sorry, this show builds on itself. So for those who have been following along, we're going to have to do the more in-depth, higher end of the, the education today. So having his father's name written on their forehead suggests new covenant. So this is the, those who have all, all those who have accepted the Messiah in the new covenant. This is this mark is on the Jews in the Christian era, but God's mark is also on the redeemed of every age. See, he's, he's in the ballpark right there, folks. He's just still out in the outfield cheap seats here. That's all. And the scripture says, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. That's many people. Revelation 17, 15 is where you get that from. And as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of the harpers harping with their harps, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne. That's the new covenant. And before the four beasts, those are the throne guardians and the elders. These are, you'll see who they are in just a minute. And no man could learn that song, but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. That's why I think you're not dealing with the Jews. You're dealing with everybody who accepted the new covenant. Remember, scripture tells you, unless you're called and your eyes are open, your heart is open, you can't respond to the call. This is, this is a teaching in scripture. So what he's talking about here is more than likely the new song, the new covenant. And unless you're one of the ones who sees it, hears it, responds to it, and accepts it, you can't learn it. These are they which are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. This is figurative language, not defiled by the whore of Babylon. I agree with that understanding. In other words, you weren't led astray into apostasy. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. 
these were redeemed from among men being the first fruits. Israel and the Jewish people are the first fruits. The church is adopted into Israel, Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. First fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Here's where I differ with him. First fruits are all of those under the new covenant. The Jews, the, the divorced, I mean, the married bride, the house of Judah, they will eventually come under the new covenant as well. That's in prophecy. Scripture continues, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God, not because they are perfect in the flesh, according to Schofield, and I agree with him, but because they are covered with the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, Romans 4.24. This is why I think the 144,000, you're talking about all the redeemed from the ascension. You're talking about those who have cut themselves underneath the new covenant, not the Jews. Schofield sees it differently. And that's fine. We don't need to stop breaking bread over this little issue. I mean, we're all still in the same ballpark here. Comment on the board from Road Dog. If it's the 12 tribes, it is half Jews and the other half Gentiles. The 12 tribes, the Gentiles are those who are not native born Hebrew. You're grafted into the house of Israel. Gentiles are. The house of Israel are native born Hebrews that have forgotten that they're Hebrews. This is the prophecy that says, you know, in a land where it says you are not the sons of the living God, you'll be told you are the sons of the living God. In other words, at some point in time, a good number of these people will realize who they are. Gentiles are still grafted in through that half of the house. And the Jews are predominantly the tribe of Judah. And some, half of Benjamin. Some Benjamin and a yeah. few Levites as well. Yes. So... This is where it's difficult, Road Dog. You got to differentiate. Think Hebrew and native-born Hebrew, as in the seed of Isaac, actual physical descendants. Gentiles, those who were not born of that lineage, can still come under the house of Israel by being grafted in. Um, once you are grafted in, though, <laughs> time to start obeying the rules of the kingdom. So back to the slideshow. This is the first angel. All believers, Revelation 14, verses 6 through 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation in kindred and tongue and people, the Gentile believers during the Christian era, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. You're preaching the gospel to every nation all the Gentiles, and every kindred, all families, and tongues, all languages. So he's right. This is, this is the Gentiles during the Christian era. Revelation 14, 1 through 21 is continued. The second angel, the unsaved of all time. Revelation 14, verse 8 through 13 here. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon. Babylon in this case. Babylon is not one city. And that's important. You have got to pay attention to the context here. Babylon is a figurative word, and it can refer to more than one thing at a time, just like mountain can refer to different kingdoms and stuff. So you got to pay attention. Saying Babylon, in this case, Babylon, the sum of the unsaved from the time of Cain on down to the last wicked person on earth. Let's look at Revelation 18.24 for that. And it says, and in her was found the blood of the prophets, Old Testament saints, and of the saints, the New Testament church, and of all that were slain upon the earth. So he's probably close to being accurate here. Babylon, in this case, is all of the unsaved. 
So Babylon has fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornications, her adultery, her disbelief, her apostasy, things like that. Everybody sees this and they say, well, the great city will fall in one hour, so Babylon has fallen. You have to be careful. John is in a vision here. Time doesn't necessarily work the way it does for us. Plus, <laughs> you're dealing with chiasms and parallelism. So events will bounce back and forth. Babylon is, this is probably, this angel's talking about when the last trumpet blows. So we've got to be careful with this. Don't try to force a timeline over top of this. Be happy with fuzzy understandings. The third angel, Islam. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the leopard bear lion beast and his image, the new jihad or possibly the Kaaba stone, and receives his spiritual mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Um, he says, note, forever and ever, so torment for those in Islam will continue on into eternity. This not necessarily the leopard bear lion beast. This could be the seven-headed beast, especially since the context we're reading in here, and this these passages flows right, you know, right from Revelation 14, 8 through 13. We already know we're dealing with all of the lost throughout time, all of those who are or who are never saved. Well, this if you go to the seven-headed beast, that's the dragon. That's the the that's the city on seven hills. That would be king uh, satan's kingdom throughout of all time so this beast probably works a little better so the ones who are going to be tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever is all of those who refuse to accept yahweh and his son you can still focus on islam this is one of the if you want this that it's going to be and islam would just be a part of it so this is a case where i think ellis became too hyper focused on islam this is you know early on in the book he hadn't didn't know enough about Islam when he, you know, in Hidden Beast 2 in 1990, when he does this slide presentation in 2012, he's learned a lot more about Islam, maybe a little too much. It's got his attention too much. So Revelation continues and says, and they no rest day or night who worship the beast contextually, leopard, bear, lion, i.e. the Islamic states or Satan, depending on which beast you want to think is in picture here and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, Jews during the Christian era. Not necessarily. We'll come back to this in a second. And the faith of Jesus, the Gentile church. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Probably refers to a time after the Islamic takeover of the Holy Land from 639 to 1967 AD. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest for their labors and their works do follow them. Right here, I'm going to stop for a minute. We're going to have a chat. This is where I think Ellis, his, his focus is really bad. I do believe that the beast here in this picture is the seven-headed beast. It's the beast of all of Satan's satanic kingdoms. I don't think that Islam should be the primary focus. The mark of the beast, that pattern has been around a lot longer than just Islam. That pattern has been with Satan's kingdoms from the beginning. When it says who keep the commandments of God and follow Jesus Christ, 
that's the true remnant. The true remnant never stopped keeping Torah. John tells you, if you love Jesus, if you love Yahweh, you'll keep his, their commandments. It says, if you don't keep their commandments, you say you love them, you're a liar. Jesus says, if you're not keeping the law, he won't know you. And if he doesn't know you, you get locked up. The scriptures are very clear on this. The commandments don't save you. They don't get you into the kingdom. It's just your reaction to being saved. That's your love reaction towards them, toward the Father and the Son and everything they've given you and what they've done for you. So that passage where it says, follow the commandments and Jesus Christ, that's not Jews and Gentiles. That's all Jew or Gentile who have accepted the Messiah and keep the covenant and the Torah. That's everybody who has stayed faithful to the way from the ascension forward. And then, then that passage where it says, "Who blessed are those who die in Christ from this point, that's probably from the cross. Because that would keep in keeping, that would be in alignment and keeping with some of the things that Paul has to say later on. So I differ with Ellis here very sharply, but we're still both in the same ballpark. And I would be happy to call him friend and we would still fellowship. It's okay to have a different understanding of these things and not divide the body in the process. I don't have to force Ellis to believe the way I do. Ellis doesn't have to force me to believe the way I do. Or he does, whatever. Road dog. So in reality, Cain was the first to be marked. Yes. If you're looking at the concept, yes. Very good, road dog. So continuing here, we're on slide uh, 473 if you have this downloaded. The Christian era, Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 20. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and his hand a sharp sickle. Jesus. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap. Believers of this age, both Jew and Gentile, this is the rapture, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Romans 11.25. And he, he that sat on the cloud thrust in the sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So the one on the cloud reaps because Jesus said he will come and gather you unto him. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. So this is not Jesus. And another angel came out from the altar. The altar is a type of the cross. So this angel is again Jesus here which had power over fire, fire being the gospel, and cried with a loud uh, and cried and with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle. So Jesus tells the one with the sickle saying, "Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the cluster of vine of the earth, the unsaved, for her grapes are fully ripe." And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This is a judgment of the wicked. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the wine press, even unto the horse's bridle, by a space of 1,600 furloughs. This is stadii, probably figurative for time rather than distance, addressing the physical wars and great spiritual trials taking place in the Holy Land and the surrounding uh, countries during the Christian era. It's a possibility that this is all figurative language is what Schofield's getting at. It could also be figurative of the last great battle the physical war on earth. Don't know. 
There's not enough information there given to give us all the points that we need to figure that one out clearly. From here, Schofield goes on to in the air. Now, we've done a show strictly on the rapture, the epentithesis. If you saw that one, what's going to follow here is going to make a lot more sense. If you didn't, well, we'll do the best we can. As recorded by Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So this is, you know, that's how Jesus, when he first comes down to reap, he's going to, that's the rapture. This is what we're talking about with the rapture. As seen by God the Father, Revelation 19, 10 through 21, says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, the apostate church, which did corrupt the earth with her fornications, with the unsaved world, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, elders of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles, and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were a voice of the great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, all the redeemed, both Jew and Gentile. And as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, all the redeemed, both Jew and Gentile, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, which is actually the imputed righteousness of Jesus because of all the righteousness, all our righteousness is filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6 and Romans 4, 24. So this passage here is about the rapture as Yahweh, the God, the Father sees it. And I tend to agree. It continues, Revelation 19, 1 through 21. And he said unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true things, say, true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, figurative for Jesus' power and authority. And he that satteth upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. See the white horse ride out to start and make war? This is why I tend to think that the rider on the white horse with the empty bow is also figurative of Jesus riding on the gospel. And he still has Judah in his hand because she's still married bride says he'll fill him with the arrow of Ephraim and in Zechariah. Anyhow, his eyes were as flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, uh, fine linen, white and clean, all the redeemed, 
and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. The word of Jesus is, is his only weapon. The word of God is Jesus's weapon. Let's stop for just a second. When it says that, when he says all the redeemed is the army, it's probably just men. I don't think Yahweh is going to send women to fight in battle. That's just not his way. Don't forget, the army comes back with Jesus, but there are still believers in heaven watching what's going on. They come down with the, the, the New Jerusalem. So I'm pretty sure the army is either all the male redeemed or all of the, the martyr redeemed or something like that. It, this is not everybody that's in heaven that's been redeemed. Schofield continues with Revelation 19, 1 through 21. It says, with it, he should smite the nations with the sword of, of God's word. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress in fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. This is Jesus, Malachi 4, 2. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, in this case, all the redeemed who meet the Lord in the air, the birds in the sky. This is the air. This is the, the second heaven, not spiritual heaven, but what we think of as the heavens above us. First Thessalonians 4, 17. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh, the riches of kings, and the flesh, the riches of captains, and the flesh, the riches of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, the horse is a weapon of war, so this is probably refers to weapons of war or the richness, riches of the military of war. And of them that sit on them in the flesh, the riches of all men, both free and bound, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the leopard bear lion beast, and the kings of the earth and their armies, Satan's servants, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. If you understand Islamic prophecy, this goes hand in hand with the Islamic prophecy, the last final battle between uh, Allah and Yahweh. Only in Islam, Allah is Satan. To, to, if you're a Christian, Allah is Satan. And Yahweh would be the Islamic Satan. They're, they're negatives of each other. You're Christian. Whatever is good is bad in, is, is, to you is bad in Islam, and whatever is bad to you as a Christian is good in Islam. They are that, they are that opposite of each other, which is probably why Schofield is so focused on Islam. Revelation 19, 1 through 21 continues. And the beast, in this context, the scarlet beast, which from Revelations 12, 3 is Satan himself, the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, Muhammad, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the Islamic beast, and then the worshipped his image, the reawakening Islam we see today as possibly the Kaaba stone or the jihad. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword, the word of God, of him that sat upon a horse, which the sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls, this is God's beloved children of all time, both Jew and Gentile, for whom he gave his only son, were filled with their flesh, with their riches. In other words, we're going to feast on everything that the world has made unto itself. Everything becomes ours. We inherit the world. The meek shall inherit the world, the earth. Restoration. The restoration. Second Peter chapter three, verses three through four. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of this creation. Is this not the world's condition today? It has been since the ascension. So this is talking about the last days. That's the latter days. That's from the ascension to the, uh, to the start of the end times. To when, more than likely, June 6, 1967. Because Jesus said, until the, you know, the Jerusalem's no longer trodden down of the Gentiles. That's June 6, 67. But I don't like putting dates on things, so I'm telling you right now, maybe. I said more than likely, but still a maybe. Anyhow, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. For this they willingly are for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished <laughs> says so to the antediluvian world was destroyed by water yes that's important right there there's a lot more going on right there charlie when i told you we've got to go through in the beginning we misunderstood with genesis Peter's got that mindset right there. It says, and the earth standing out of the water is part of what's going on here. This is this is a Genesis reference, folks. Yeah, I just started reading that one. Yeah, this is a Genesis reference. And you have to understand the cultural worldview at that time to get to this. But this, where it says standing out of water, that's also chaos. So this is, there's a lot in those two verses right there that would have come to mind to its original audience. So Second Peter continues, Chapter three, verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So at the flood destroyed by water, right? Reserved unto fire at this point in time. So this present era is reserved for fire. We're going to be in second Peter chapter three, still this time verses 10 through 12, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens, the Greek word here, Uranus, the sky, the air, only heaven by implication. In other words, the, the heavens we see, the physical heavens, which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and elements. The stoichion only appears four times in scripture, referring here to the elementary principles of the world. So, so And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth, gay, the earth's dirt, we're looking at the Greek word, the soil, the ground, but not necessarily the whole planet, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in the holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens be on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So just as God destroyed the first world by water, it appears that this present world, i.e. the surface of the earth, will be destroyed by fire. But the planet itself might possibly remain. Again, let's take a quick moment here. If you look at the pattern, at the fall, we didn't do away with the creation. It, it just fell. It became corrupted. It was altered. At the flood, we're told in scripture that the universe is altered again because of the flood. When we look for the remaking of the earth in Isaiah and here what it's talking about in the book of Revelation, we shouldn't look for the creation itself to be remade. We should look for a reversal of all these, these changes. In other words, back to the way it was originally made. There's no sense in remaking something that's still very good. 
You just got to correct all of the corruption that was brought about by man's sin and his rebellion. But what's going on here is we're being told by scripture that it's very likely, you know, the world's going to be destroyed by fire. One of these days, we got to look at Zechariah. Because Zechariah, one of the least understood of the prophets, especially in ancient times, Zechariah makes a whole lot more sense to our modern way of looking at things, but we got to be careful with that. Zechariah was written to an ancient people with an ancient understanding. So we've got to be able to keep and look at Zechariah with both concepts in head at the same time. How would an early Hebrew have understood this? And how do I understand it today? Because if I want to understand it today, there are some language in Zechariah that very clearly in our world describes a nuclear exchange in the Middle East. Yeah, it does. And, and Zechariah very is clearly. a tough one to understand, even looking at it that way. There's still things that are fuzzy. Yeah, there's fuzzy. Yes, they are. But we'll we'll take a look at that here in sometime in the near future. But you got to be careful here. Be very, very careful. It's okay to just have a kind of fuzzy, you know, see unclear as through a tarnished mirror in this case. Because remember when Paul says through a mirror, you know, we said we translated glass. Uh-uh. No, no, he's talking about polished brass mirror. Well, if those things get dirty, you can't see through them very well at all. I mean, I can see that I'm in the mirror, but I can't necessarily pick out my face. Definitely not going to shave with it until I polish it. So we might have a dirty mirror here, and that's okay, because Paul says that's how we're meant to see it, some things at this time. So don't try to force the pieces to fit. Holy Spirit will give them to you if you're supposed to have them. Field now goes to Acts 3.21. Jesus, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's important. The times of restoration of all things. Coverings, atonements. Gee, that goes hand in hand with what I was talking about in our sermon yesterday, Charlie. Now, whereof God spake by the mouth of his holy prophets that has been from the old. So Ellis said, God is the creator of all things, Satan the destroyer. It appears that God's will is to restore his creation to what it was before sin caused the fall. So you see, this is why Ellis is saying we're not going to have a brand new universe. It's going to be restored. That's reversing Hermon back to what that's the revert. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the gospel right there. The restoration of all things coming on the board from Tolkas. Since the creator God created the, uh, the Adam, he can easily destroy it. Can he not? Yes, he can. He can if he wants. We're just trying to follow the whole of scripture in this case. So when we think that the, you know, because we read language, it makes it looks like the whole universe will be destroyed and then remade. That, that's certainly possible. That's definitely within the realm of Yahweh's possibilities. But it seems to be more likely when you read the whole of scripture that it's just going to be a restoration of all things. Well, you don't need to remake it. All you got to do is fix all of the curses from the fall. And Yahweh can do that. That's part of what the Messiah's mission was on earth. And burning, remember, saved as though through a fire. The earth could be made new again as through fire, in this case, literal. So there's lots of reasons in the scripture and in the culture and the sayings to believe that Schofield is correct in his thinking. It's not going to be a total remaking of the universe. The earth is going to be purged by fire and then restored to the way it was in Eden. <coughs> Excuse me. At least that's an, that's one possible way of looking at it. I, I'm sympathetic to it because it harmonizes other passages in Scripture. 
Revelation 21, verses 1 through 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the Oranos, Greek word, sky, only heaven by implication, for the first sky, and the first earth, in this case, Greek word here is for soil. It's unlikely that God intends to destroy his creation, only the sin within it. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. This is of the various nations. This is not the ocean. This is no more no more chaos, no more Gentiles in the prophetic language. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out, God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, the bride herself, not the dwelling place for the bride, adorned for her husband. Now pay attention. He's going to point out some things that most of us miss because we're wrestling with the traditions and teachings of man, especially what I call the Tim LaHaye left behind notion of eschatology. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is with men. Revelations 21, 1 through 21 continued, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new refresh them. It doesn't mean I'm making all new things. It says I make all things new, as in new again. Revelation 8.1, and when he opened the seventh seal, there followed a silence in heaven about a space of half an hour. Why is the final seal a half hour, and how long is this half hour in a day years? I don't know. He says, Revelation 21, 1-21 continued, and he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, or Aleph and the Tav, strong covenant, strong promise. The beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is Arthur uh, a, a thirst of the fountain of water of free of life freely. I'll give unto you, you know, the gospel and the blessings of the gospel freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels. This is not Jesus, but indeed a messenger, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, not the dwelling place of the bride, but the bride herself, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem. So the new Jerusalem is not a physical city, but the sum total of God's elect, Old Testament and new. We've been looking at this holy city from a humanistic standpoint. Sovereign God is not making a city where man may dwell, but a city where he will dwell, made up of all the souls, his sons as have been redeemed. My kingdom is not of this earth. Yeah, which means it's not going to, you know, spiritual first material second. So it did, the city of Jerusalem descends out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto the stones, most precious, even like Jasper stone, clear as crystal, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're about to talk about, you got to think, remember, Satan is described as a peacock wearing jewels, clothed in jewels, right? That's in Isaiah. Pay attention to what happens next here. 
It says, and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and names written here thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So to enter this city through one of these gates, you need to be either a physical or spiritual descendant of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. Um, just like on the arrangement of the tabernacle in the desert. Three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, three tribes. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, representing all of the Gentile believers who are in Israel by adoption. Galatians 4, 5. And he that talked with me had a golden uh, reed or rod to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth and the measure of the city with a reed. This is a spiritual measure. First appears in Ezekiel and is always used figuratively. 12,000 furloughs, just like, you know, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. The length and breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall, therefore, and 144, there's that 144,000 again, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man, that is, of the angel, figurative number, actually the total of the redeemed, both Old Testament and New. And the building of the wall of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony. The fourth, an emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, uh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, a topaz. The tenth, a chrysoprasus. The eleventh, a jacinth. The twelfth, an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every And every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. And it was transparent glass. In other words, the beauty of Lord Jesus Christ in which God's servants are clothed. Very similar description is what we have of Satan in Isaiah. What we're dealing with is a pattern. You, you, you're describing beautiful clothing. The, the, the inrighted, uh, imputed righteousness of Jesus is clothing every believer. The two books, Revelation 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it was uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, spiritually dead. Those who belong to the Lord are alive in Christ. Small and great stand before God, and the books of the deeds were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the spiritually dead were judged out of these things, which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea, Revelation 7.15, all the lost people who have ever lived, gave up the spiritually dead which were in it and the death and hell delivered up the spiritually dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works this is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in jesus christ so we are not included in that group and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire this is another spot where ellis and i need to part ways because he's not paying attention to his scripture as closely as he does in other places. This here is not the spiritually dead. This is all the dead. This is talking about the resurrection of all people for judgment. So he says that the saved will not stand before the judgment throne. That is not what scripture says. Scripture says it is appointed to all men 
to live, die once, and then be judged. It says all men. It doesn't say all non-saved. It says all men. You will be before the book of, of, of the life and, and deeds. That's the key. Notice what this passage just said. If your name was not found in the book of life, you were cast into the fire. Well, if you're before the judgment throne and your name is in the book of life, then you're acquitted. You're found not guilty and you pass into eternity into the eternal kingdom. So Ellis is missing something here. He needs to go back to Daniel where it says, I will sort sheep from goats. Sheep are the saved. But they will be before the great white throne judgment. He just missed this. He's hyper-focused on other things here. And that's okay. He's very good at what he was told to tell the church. He was given clear vision of some of that. But he wasn't given a clear understanding of the whole picture. And he's doing the best he can here. He's still in the stadium. And in this case, he's out there in far right or left field. He's not out in the cheap seats in center field. He's still in the stadium, you know, figuratively speaking here. He's, he's not all that far off from being where he needs to be. I just differ with him because I'm taking the whole of Scripture. And in this case, where he's usually really good at this, he missed it. But then again, the founding fathers were really good at setting up our Constitution, and then when they became presidents, they broke with it. We're all human. Praise for each other, right? All right, let's get back to this. Oops. Okay. Next slide, his mansions. In my father's house, this is John 14, verses 2 through 3. In my father's house are many mansions. The Lord Jesus isn't up in heaven building castles for us. God's mansions are already there. This is a reference to the Hebrew wedding. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, not make it prepare. This, we've got to do the Hebrew wedding, Charlie. We really do. Um, this yes, is a, yeah, this is a reference to the Hebrew wedding. So where did Jesus have to go to prepare a place for us? Well, and Ellis is saying to the cross, yes, figured of, yes, he's right. Because if Jesus had not gone to the cross, we could never spend eternity with so holy a God, but he's also going up into heaven to finish preparing the place the, the, this is, this is all, this is crucifixion and Hebrew wedding language here. And if I go to the cross and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And could not those preparations be the things that we're talking about here in the last days and the end yes. times prophecies? Yes. So where are God's heavenly mansions? Did the Lord, you know, did the Lord made this last universe with trillions of stars and billions of galaxies to no purpose? This here, I'm going to say, no, be very careful with this. This will get you running down the road of Mormonism if you're not careful. Um, Brother Schofield is missing this, and it's because he doesn't understand the covenants. And the reason he, he doesn't see the houses of Israel and the house of Judas because he didn't understand the covenants that well. To each is given a piece. Um, just like as much as I like Dr. Heiser, he did not understand the prophetic language very clearly. He sees parts of it, but not very clearly. We are not all given the pieces. One of the things that I've come to realize I'm different with is I'm a puzzle. I, I put the puzzle together. I'm not given any piece. Yahweh has never given me a piece one. He gives me what he, he shows me. He leads me to what he's given to other believers. And then he hands it to me and he says, okay, Joe, put the pieces together. 
Well, he didn't give me anything. He gave it to Schofield and to Heiser and to Brother Allen. He just expects me to put them all together and knit them together. That's why he's made it to where I can see contradiction very clearly so that I put the pieces together a little more accurately. Not a prophet. No, I'm not a prophet. I don't have any special revelation. I'm, I'm just using the skills and talents he's given me to try and weave this picture together and then share it with whoever will listen and let them do with it what they will. In all things I do, I point to him and to his son because I'm standing on the back of much better people, much greater believers, much better saints than I'll ever be. And I'm, I'm just weaving together their work and, and their, the fruit of their walk with the Lord. It's all I'm doing. His mansions again. This is his epilogue. Uh, Schofield thinks his mansions is the universe. And it may well be, but let's be careful with that. Because that's very, I know that'll give Charlie the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> so, yeah, and it also says that the earth and, and the heavens will be, you know, rolled up like a scroll and remade. And, or, you know, maybe this is renewed. I mean, it could be figurative language as well. Yes. Uh, we don't really know, but yeah, yeah. You, you get well, my, not rolled up like a scroll, burned up like a scroll. Maybe so. I'd have to consumed the, yeah. is the Hebrew word. Yeah, it could be. I, I'd have to look at that one again myself. Well, the earth was consumed by water in the flood too. Yeah, correct. So it, it's just it's okay to have fuzzy understandings. Folks. Yeah, especially about this stuff because man, yeah, you're not supposed to understand it until after it's over. Yeah. All right. Epilogue. Schofield wraps this up. He says, "I'm now 84 years old." I'm a World War II vet who during his lifetime has pretty much seen it all. It's been a pretty good life despite my many failings, but now as I watch our country fall, I'm overcome by an oppressive sense of foreboding that I'm unable to shake, and I'm not alone. He's writing this in 20, 2012. Imagine what this poor brother would feel like today. Many fellow Christians feel the same way. The final hour of trial is upon us, beginning probably with the total collapse of the world's economic system, followed by anarchy. He's he's doing good prophecy here right now, folks, because the economic system of the world has collapsed. You just didn't notice it. Ezekiel 14, verses 13 through 14. Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it and cut off cut it off from both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord Yahweh. The Ella, you know, declares Yahweh our Elohim. Be, pay attention to this, folks. First of all, he tells you that if you're righteous, you can save yourself through the calamities that are coming through your faith. In other words, he'll lock you behind your door and cover it with his hand. But they were saved even through the calamity. Don't be thinking you're going to be snatched out of this. Comment on the board from Road Dog. What is the deciding factor, whether God accepts you or denies you? I believe in him and also a backslider asking him for forgiveness. <sighs> okay, that one is an important question. Let's take time out. Road dog. The, the, Matthew 7, verses 20 through 23. There are going to be many people who claim to believe in Jesus and to follow him. But we are told that those who practice lawlessness... He's going to say, be gone from me. I never knew you. Lawlessness is Torah, keeping all of Yahweh's teachings. You can't keep them perfectly. He knows that. That's why he was sent here to make propitiation for sin, for us missing the mark. He made a covering for our errors, propitiation. The, the word there is 
you know, for atonement is covering in Hebrew. Well, his blood covers you. It's just like the blood covers the doorway in Passover. He's the Passover lamb. His blood covers you. It never said in Passover that there were sinless people in those buildings. It didn't matter how dirty their rags were. Yahweh passed over them because of the son. He saw his son. You're covered with the blood. But if you love the Lord, John is very, very clear. You follow his teachings to the best of your ability. People tell me like, well, why do I have to keep Sunday? Or why do I worry about the, the holy feasts in the Bible? You know, Christmas and Easter point to Jesus. Well, Aaron makes a bull. Behold, Israel, your God, Yahweh, who brought you out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. So he's pointing to Yahweh. And Yahweh wants to destroy every one of them for that because they did it the pagan way. The scriptures are very clear. Be set apart in the world, not of it, not like it. So what you're going to have to do here, road dog, this is a wrestle between you and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got to wrestle with this one. You got to work out your own salvation. Read the scriptures to the best of your ability and understand them the best you can. Ask as many different teachers as you can. But in the end, pray, study the scriptures, and ask the Spirit to guide you and figure out what it means to be set apart. And do your best to be obedient. Obedience is not going to save you. Like you said, your hope is going to be cast on to the Father and the Son. That's what it means to say our hope is in them. But you still have to do your part. Remember, it's Jesus saying to him who overcomes. It didn't say to him who I chose and give freely for, for nothing out of you. It says overcome. That means you strive. Well, this is the overcome striving with Yahweh. This is not overcome through deeds. You can't earn anything, but you will show that striving through your fruits. The fruits is what the world thinks of as actions and deeds and works. That just comes naturally because the change in your heart. So if the change in your heart is to follow and obey him, the more, the closer you get to him, the, the more you know him, the more you're going to want to obey him because the closer you get, the more you love him, the more you love him, the more you want to obey him. And it'll show in your fruit. This is why Paul says, you know, your fruits are all just useless. And then James turns around and says, you know, without works, you're not saved. They're saying the exact same thing, just from different ends of the pencil or burning different ends of the candle. They're looking at it from different perspectives. It's the same message, but they're looking at it from a different perspective. Does that answer your question, Road Dog? I hope. If not, do a follow-up question. Let Charlie know. Back to our epilogue. Ophiel says, isn't the above also true today? As we see natural disasters increasing everywhere, you know, like labor pains, faster and faster, closer and closer together. Not necessarily worse, just closer, faster. This is not only in our land, but around the world. We were once the richest country on earth, but not anymore. And not the next, and, and note, not the next few verses also about us. Are they not? And are not these days here as well? He's going to be in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver has rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and you will consume your, your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure 
Behold, the pay of the laborers you, who mowed your field, which um, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. What? This is end times and he's talking about the Sabbath? Hmm. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. This is the day we live in now where our leaders write the laws to make sure they and their friends get rich at the cost of the ones they were there sent there to serve. This is who James is condemning throughout all of time, especially since the ascension, latter days. Schofield says, for many years I have lived just like the above, caring little about anyone but myself. Now I anguish over the wimpy social clubs our churches have become. I weep as I see our children led astray by immoral media, godless teachers, and false religions. I agonize over how spiritually blind we as a people have become. America was once the Christian lighthouse of the world, but that's all over. In 536 BC, a Bible prophet saw the following. Zechariah 11.16 For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing Seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, godless leadership, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Joel Olstein and all like him, the godless shepherd. Because the spiritual hoofs have been torn off our people by self-serving church leaders who know not God, we no longer know how to walk the Christian walk. Folks, you have atheists working as pastors and preachers in churches, atheists. So Schofield is right on target, and he is bringing down the rain here it's right now. It's worse than that, Joe. Yeah, and I know. It's worse than that, Jim. You got something to add to that, Charlie, or are you just throwing that on there? Well, I would say that some of the pastors and some of the Christian churches are right out demons today. Yeah, Schofield has another book called Demons in the Pulpit. If you want to hear the thunder brought down, you read that one. Good luck if you can find it, and good luck if you've got the wallet to buy it. That one calls the, oh, dude, calls the fire down on the church. And he calls it demons in the pulpit, and he means preachers. He continues in this slide. He says, it wasn't always that way. Many Christian brethren died at Bunker Hill. 2,000 more, freezing, ill-clothed, and starving, died at Valley Forge. The road to Concord, folks. Untold numbers died in the Civil War, the Spanish War, in both world wars, in Korea, in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And for what? They died for what we used to be, not for what we have become. We are not worthy of their deaths. Many of Ephraim's children will be brought out to the slaughter. That's a prophecy, folks. Instead of repenting, we will worry about how to protect our assets when the dollar goes belly up and the stock market crashes, as they surely will. Just before the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, the godly sighed and groaned over the abominations committed in their midst. But do we? Ezekiel 9.4 The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. To the others, angels, he said, in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, 
but come not near any man upon whom is this mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient um, at the ancient men, the church leaders, which were before the house of the Lord, i.e. the church. Oh, let's stop here again. I'm going to be raptured out of here. We're, we're, we're saved. We're never going to be. Uh-huh. Start at my sanctuary. Start slaying at my sanctuary. Be gone from me. I never knew you. All of you who practiced and did all these great things in my name, in the name of Jesus, go. Go. I never knew you. Folks, who's doing the slaying here? Well, that's Satan. No, that's not Satan. That's faithful angels who are obedient to Yahweh doing the slaying. Now, in the material world, it was the Assyrians doing the killing in Jerusalem at the time. But in this world here, Ezekiel says it's the angels doing it. Look to the spiritual message first and foremost. Then look for the material shadow or reflection in this world. You will often find more than one. There will only be one spiritual message. One spiritual point. There can be many material reflections or shadows. Get that principle through your head, and it will save you from many heresies, and it will also help you be a peacemaker within the body. Instead of tearing each other apart, my way, no, my way, no, my way, no, my way. You say, yeah, it could be all of us. Especially if you all agree on the spiritual point. Comment on the board from Julie Larson. Both atheists and Christians celebrate holidays like Christmas that should be assigned to all that holidays that are not biblical are a sin. Yeah, that's a very good point, Julie. That's a very good point. Get ourselves back to our slideshow. He's not quite done, but he's close. Do you believe, do you believe sovereign God, creator of the universe, is going to act differently now just because you got your spiritually dying church on Sunday, know the four spiritual laws and say the sinner's prayer? Remember, God, Yahweh says, I am Yahweh. I do not change. I think it's Malachi 4, 6, if I'm remembering correctly, which would be amazing for me because I don't do chapter and verse very well. Usually when I do, they're important. As he did in Israel so long ago, the Lord is once again putting his mark on his remnant. If you have the mark, you know it because you recognize the lateness of the hour. How late? It's almost time to obey. Isaiah 26, 20 through 27. Now he's quoting from the NIS. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their inequity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. It's also the chaos monster, and it's also Satan. With his fierce and great and mighty sword, the word of God, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, he will kill the dragon, Satan, who lives in the sea, the sea of people, and the, and the sea of chaos. Uh, again, this is Genesis language here, folks. This is this is Genesis 1 language, and if you understand it in the ancient way, we have, God, we've got so much to teach. I'm glad this is almost over with. We've got to get on to other things. The time is nigh at hand. We've got to get busy with those who will listen. Several years ago, a godly old pastor told me with a sigh, I don't see the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of the unsaved like I used to. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Genesis 6.3. It's not going to be easy for us from here on out. Amos, woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. 
to what ends is it for you? The day of the Lord comes during a time of spiritual darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and bear met him and went into the house and, and leaned his hand on the wall and the serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord come during a time of spiritual darkness and not light, even, uh, even very dark and not brightness in it? Night no longer cometh when no man can work. It is here, John 9, 4. If you're not crying inside, you should be. He says, I certainly am. And he goes into all of Revelation that needs to be fulfilled before the Lord returns has already been fulfilled. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He's not quite correct in that. There are prophecies that, by my understanding, still do need to be fulfilled, but not many. Not many. The second exodus is still, that's, that's about, that's all that's left, depending on how you read prophecy. But we're close. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm with you on this one. People have been predicting the return forever. That's what the, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians are about. They were all sitting up on the hills waiting for the return of the Messiah. And Paul's telling them, get back to work. You don't know when he's coming. It's going to be a long time. Paul even tells them it's going to be a long time. Okay? But you're at a point now. We were told in the book of Daniel, seal that book up, Daniel, and nobody's going to understand it until the last generation. And nobody has ever understood Daniel 70 weeks. We've got an understanding now that fits prophecy and human history very well. So well that it makes it very difficult for me to think that Ellis Schofield was not the man chose to open Daniel. If Daniel is open, scripturally, you are in the end times and the last generation. That has never happened before in the history of man. We've never been able to pin anything to that prophecy. And the reason Daniel could not be opened until after June 6, 1967, is because until 48 and 67 were behind us, you couldn't see the pattern in Daniel. Now you can. So for the first time, man has a biblical, an actual biblically supportive uh, timeline or point in history where we can say we probably are in the end times. And we have two witnesses in Scripture. We not only have Daniel, Jesus, Yeshua, he says, when this city is no longer trodden down, when the end of the Gentiles has come, when the time of the Gentiles is over, well, that is a parallel line to when Daniel says, when Jerusalem's no longer trodden down by the Gentiles. When the control of the Gentile, the Gentile control over the city of Jerusalem is over and it's back in the hands of Judah, June 6, 1967, then the end times start. Which means if you read your Bible, at the end of the tribulation of those days, then comes the end. Tribulation's over according to Jesus. What does he know? He's only the capstone of the prophets, right? Why do we not listen to our scriptures as they speak to us? Not as we want to force them, not as we want to hear them, not as we're willing to accept them, but as they speak to us. It is either the rule book or it is not. You're either a disciple, meaning that you're a student of, and you let that book teach you, or you're the person of 2 Thessalonians 2. You ascend into your heart, which is the temple. You're a God, you know, in the book of Revelation, each one of us is given a stone with a name of it on our own that nobody knows. 
The stone means you're a block in the temple, Jack. You're one of the stones in the temple. You're a living block, a living stone. It's in the language. It's in the language of scripture. The name is your Shem. It's your character. It's the role you play in the kingdom. Nobody knows your role but you and the Holy Spirit together and the Father and the Son. So 2 Thessalonians, oh, I'm a believer, but I'm going to do it my way. Well, very good, Aaron. If it hadn't been for Moses, that would have got everybody killed because you wanted to go along with what everybody was demanding. I heard this recently myself. Joe, I don't like your preaching. You're arrogant. You make me feel bad. So if you were a good teacher, you'd be making me feel good all the time. I've got a passage in my head that says in the end times, people are going to go looking for preachers that tickle their ears and make them feel happy. I remember Aaron. Aaron wanted to make the people happy, so he goes and makes a bull out of gold and goes, okay, and this is Yahweh now. Well, that's what Samaria did. They set up two golden bulls on two different mountains, and what's Jesus tell the Samaritan woman? You Samaritans don't have any idea what you worship. The Samaritans thought they were worshiping Yahweh. Yahweh tell Jesus, Yahweh and Jesus in human form says, you, you don't have no, any idea who you're worshiping. You're worshiping Baal, but you say it's Yahweh. You better be very careful with that, brothers and sisters, because now you're skating on that razor-thin edge of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is wrong with the body these days? You go to church for what? A music show? A 20-minute feel-good rah-rah lesson? The scriptures say that the word of Yahweh is a two-edged sword. And it'll cut to the marrow. That means if I'm preaching, if I'm teaching a lesson, some people are going to be uplifted by it. Other people are going to be convicted by it. That means I'm doing my job. And yet I've got so-called believers telling me that's proof that I'm a false teacher because I don't make everybody feel good. I'm doing what the scriptures told me to do. It's not my responsibility to teach the word correctly and make sure you feel good. That's the Holy Spirit giving you a warning sign telling you, hey, Jack, you got something here that he's got the word right. Cause the same person who told me this told me that I was teaching the word correctly. And, you know, we, we had a little conversation in the chat with uh, road dog earlier about it being a two edged sword. And one of the things I told him is, yeah, cause he said it's two edged. And I'm like, yeah, for the righteous, those that are seeking him, it can be used as a scalpel to cut out that sin and heal us. But for the wicked, it cuts right to the marrow. It's also a defensive weapon for the righteous. Correct. Yes, it can be. You know, Yeshua uses it as a defense against Satan all the time. Yes. So it is written. You know, he def that's what he used to defend himself against Satan in the, when he was tempted. He used the, he the, used the sword. He used right. the word as a that's defensive right. weapon. Yes. It's a two-edged sword. So, folks. <laughs> what? Uh, sailor son. I'm going to buy me some steel toe boots. <laughs> I've been and stepping it, on poor sailor son's toes a lot lately. And Beverly's telling you to keep preaching it too. So, <laughs> Okay. I was asked by one of your classmates who, who knows me. He's in my congregation. I was asked to clean this. We did 15 shows in a row on Ellis Schofield's slideshow. And I know for a lot, there's a little bit of confusion out there. I see things just a little different from Ellis. I'm, I'm real close to him. I mean, on the whole, if we generalized it into one big on the whole, Ellis is probably sitting in the same section of the bleachers with me in the, in the baseball field behind the catcher, but he's, he's up a ways. He's not in the second tier, but he he's up 
five, six, seven rows behind me. And I'm not saying I'm down at the front. Mm -mm, I'm not there yet. I'm still up a ways behind the, the catcher too. But I was asked to do another show where I clean all this up for you. That's what we're going to do next week. I'm going to try and clean this up for you a little bit. So if you've been following us, next week is going to be a very good week to get your notebook out and sit down and study this because I'm going to clean it up for you. And I'm going to harmonize and synthesize a lot of the stuff that Ellis missed. I'm going to put it all into the picture. And we will be talking about the Sabbaths in the process. We will be talking about the two houses, the divorced and the married bride. We will be talking about the prophetic language. We will be talking about the Moedim, the feasts, the set-apart feasts. Those are all prophetic, okay? They're remembrances, and they're looking forwards. And if you toss out the feasts, you have tossed out the salvation process. And we've traded them for Easter, which is Ishtar, whether anybody in the church wants to tell you or not. I've done the homework on that. I've run that down. I can defend that 17 billion, million, billion, billion ways to Sunday. Easter is Ishtar. I know they say it's not. It is. Ishtar, Ashtra, wherever you find the house of Israel, the northern kingdoms, you are going to find the Baals. Okay? That, that, that halo that you see on all of our, uh, the Madonna, th these are all signs of paganism, and they're all woven into our, our two holidays, Easter and Christmas. Christmas? <laughs> I found the Catholic directive telling a bishop to adopt the pagan ways of Christmas so that they would join the church. That's a compromise, goes directly against the commandment of Yahweh, and I found the letter. So that's what convinced me to abandon Christmas. Julie Larson, it's one of my downfalls. I have a big family and holidays are very important to us. And that's what I struggle with. Yes, Julie, and you are not alone. So do I. I, I love my in-laws dearly. And we have parted ways over this one. We, we don't fight or argue it over it, but it's, it's, it's an uneasy piece. It was tough. I know it's tough, I mean, but Christmas the scripture tells us my it's my favorite holiday, but yes, mine too. But then as I started, Digging into the foundings of Christmas, oh my gosh. Once, once I got to that point and found out how disgusting these now, holidays are. There's a passage in Ezekiel. Oh, wow. There's a passage in Ezekiel where it says the trees will rejoice because they're no longer cut down and drug into houses. Yeah. That's not talking about Christmas trees, but the pattern is. The pattern is. The pattern is. It's talking about cutting down a tree and turning it into a wooden idol and dragging it into your house and decorating it because it's an idol now. It's a, a, I forget what the Hebrew word, Talmuth or Talmud, it's a Talmuth or something or other. There's a, there's a word for it, but the, the idol in the Bible is different from what we think of as idol. We think, oh, football can become an idol. Not the biblical idea of idol. The biblical idea of an idol is something I can actually grab and bargain with and wrestle with. And it, it's a whole different idea. It's, it's, I'm putting my God inside something I control. Yeah. It's a genie in a bottle. Yes, exactly. That's the biblical idea of an idol. You, you've made a genie in a bottle. You've put your God, your Elohim, in, into something you actually control and can reason and bargain with. The, the Bible tells you, you can't do that with Yahweh. You're not going to reason and bargain with him. I mean, you're allowed to try, but you can't control him. But the biblical idea of an idol is that you do control that God to some extent. That, that doesn't work. So that's what Ezekiel's actually talking about. But the pattern the spiritual message there is the same because that tree that we cut down every year, I finally traced that. I know exactly where that goes back to, too. That's a Druid practice. The Druids are an apostate group of the Northern Kingdom that has been so 
they've turned such apostasy that they as to be pagans and be unrecognizable as Hebrews. But we, I have found it and traced them right back to the northern tribes, especially Gad and Dan. Dan again keeps coming up. I know this is tough stuff, folks. I understand it will push you hard, but I can show you the prophecies we just read in the book of Revelations and we just read in James where the Sabbath is still present in the end times, in the renewed earth, there's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is told it's forever and ever, amen. It's not Sunday. You can worship on Sunday, that's fine, don't get me wrong, but that's not the Sabbath. You've got to keep the Sabbath. It's not going to get you saved, it's the seal that tells you you're saved. It says so right in the scriptures, man. I'm a simple person. When I finally decided that I have to read the Bible for myself and study it, I started realizing I'm not reading this right. I I realized I've got to start learning a little bit about the Hebrew. I don't have time to learn Hebrew. I'm very bad with languages. I got to work hard to get that because it messes with the logical structure in my head. Your language will change the way you think. I don't want to give up the way I think. It's very Greek, but if you are a trained Greek philosopher, a good one, you can learn to think in anybody else's way. That's part of what they learn how to do. This is how I learned how to think Hebrew and how to track down Hebrew, ancient Near East mindset and culture. And as I learned that, it was the second, aside from the scriptures themselves, the greatest gift Yahweh has ever given me is learning to see his word as though I'm standing in the sandals of a first century Torah observant Hebrew. Because it changes everything. Not salvific. You can get your salvation whether you're reading this as a Greek or a Jew. But it changes the flavor. All of a sudden, I went from eating plain mashed potatoes with nothing in them to steak and sweet potato with all the trimmings, Jack, you know, honey butter and and cinnamon brown sugar in your sweet potato and whatever you want on your steak, perfectly seared. I mean... All the flavors just came out when I started looking at it this way. And it started helping me because I study concept. It started connecting all of this stuff. So Wednesday, that's what I'll do for you. I'll wrap up the prophetic pro- the prophetic line as best as I understand it. Now, I'm not perfect, and I know I'm not perfect. I know there are pieces missing. There are huge chunks missing in my puzzle. But I have studied this person and that person. And it's why when I know and I love each and every one of you when you send me videos, thank you. But I don't always have time to watch them anymore. And to some extent, you need to understand, please, I've quit watching a lot of these. It doesn't mean all of them, but most of them turn out to be something I can't handle anymore. And I'm actually protecting those people from me by not watching their stuff. And I had somebody else tell me the other day, I I told them, I said, I can't watch that video. And he says, well, you're, you're poo-pooing it without ever watching it. I said, I know what it's going to say already. And he, he gave me crap. And okay, so I went and watched it. it turned out to be exactly what I thought it was going to be. Exactly. I can't watch that anymore because once I watch it, I got to correct that person. And then that causes trouble for those who are listening to our conversation because they don't understand why I stand where I stand. It took me better part of a decade to get where I'm at. Now I've been trying to fine tune it, but I was in the scriptures and in the scriptures and digging through what I could find to support and everything outside of scripture that points to scriptures. 
it was tough, man. It was rough. It tested me. I had to give up so many traditions of man. It will, it will, it will burn your world down around you. But then that's exactly what the word says it's going to do. And that's so affirming to me. I know that I am the worst person to be teaching this stuff to you. The absolute worst. Paul says he's the worst. Get behind me, Paul. I've watched what you've done in the scriptures. I see your fruit in the scriptures. You ain't got nothing on my filthy rags, Jack. I know who I am, and I know that I can't turn loose of half of it because I like it too freaking much. I'm the worst person to be teaching you. So why am I? Because I meant it when I put my hand in the air and I said, okay, Yahweh, I want to be used by you in some way, shape, or form, even if all I am is the shovel that picks up after the horse is going down the street. Here I am. I'll put my hand in the air. You show me, I'll do. I've been trying to be faithful to that promise ever since. And you know what I found out? I found out if you actually make good on that promise, he will use you and use you and use you. But that doesn't mean I'll make it into the kingdom, and I'm well aware of that. I, I don't expect to. Cyrus doesn't. I don't think Cyrus made it. I don't. I really don't think Nebuchadnezzar made it, but they were both used of Yahweh. You've got to be careful with your scriptures. Pharaoh was used of Yahweh, according to the scriptures. So he can use me, and I still won't make it. It's because I decided I would stand in the breach, and that's how I see myself. I'll save those that will respond the way Yahweh wants them to. And I, I'm not saving them. I'll point them in the direct that, that way out of the fire. I'll stand in the breach. Y'all build the wall back behind me. Y'all going to make it. I won't. I know that. I got it. I understand. That's the way I was made. That's why I was a Marine. It's just the way I was made. It's that's who I am. I, I have my hope in him. I hope and, and pray that he'll save me even in spite of myself. And he might, but I have no expectation of that because I know that I fit into I fit into a lot of those categories where he says, if you're this, that, and the other, you ain't going to make it, Jack. You're not going to no way see the kingdom of Yahweh. And, and I can't shake them. I can't overcome those things. But I know that I understand what I teach you. And I know I do not bring it to you until I have been through it and I can defend it. And if you... If you ever want to see somebody go nuclear in a defense, have somebody push me against something I teach and tell me I've got no right to teach that. I know that passage that says that the teachers will be held more accountable. You know why? It's because he showed you more. To what you, those who have been given much, much is respected, expected rather out of me. So he's shown me these things and he's helped me put the puzzle together. He expects me to teach them and teach them properly. I've got enough coal coming down on my head from my own actions. I am not going to teach this wrong and lead you astray. He told me it'd be better that I tie a millstone around my neck and jump into the ocean than to do that. I can defend what I bring you. And when I can't, I tell you this is my best understanding at the time. I might be wrong. I warn you over and over again. But all I know is I look everywhere I can, and the church is so great at congratulating itself on being pure and driven and it's just perfect and it's good to go. And all I see are disobedient people, disobedient people praising themselves for their disobedience. You're giving yourself participation trophies for your lawlessness. 
I'm not going to be surprised when he says, be gone from me, Joe. Yeah, I got it, Yeshua. It's going to suck to be me that day, but I got it. I'm not going to be surprised. But there's going to be a lot of people around me that are going to be shocked, and I'm going to be like, dude, tried to tell you. You wouldn't listen. I'll be the thief on the cross that says, yeah, I know I belong in this lake of fire. You people who think you were unjustly deserved, didn't you read the rule book? I mean, really read it, not just write what you wanted on it. You either walk the walk or you don't. I mean, I've seen Joker in, in full metal jacket. You know, so uh, y'all talk the talk, pilgrim, but do y'all walk the walk? That's what the that's what the apostle James is telling us. I don't see your deeds. You're not walking the walk. You got a dead faith. You might have faith. You know what? A lot of Christians don't understand this. Oh, I believe in God. So does Satan. Satan believes in Yahweh and the Messiah. So do the demons. So what's the difference? Why don't they get into heaven? Because they are disobedient. Well, Joe, that's work. No, it's not works. If they had faith in Yahweh, yes, it's rebellion. If they had faith in Yahweh. Now, I don't know that the fallen angels can be redeemed. I don't think they can. That's not even spoken to us. So throw that away. Let's just deal with humans. Even atheists believe in God. They wouldn't be telling me they don't believe in something that they don't believe in. You all believe in God. Every stinking one of us. Are you in rebellion to the creator of the universe? Open rebellion. Hebrew means you've crossed over. It's a, that's the Hebrew word. It, Hebrew means crossed over. You crossed over the Jordan. You crossed over the Red Sea. You were baptized. That's where baptism comes from. You crossed through the water. The water is chaos. Oh my gosh, all this stuff just makes so much sense in my head because of everything I've, I've not had time to teach you, everybody. But it's there. I'm going to do my best. Next week is going to be a jam, chock-a-block full two hours, Jack. We're, we're going to be hitting it hot and heavy, and we are going to be sprinting through all of this next week. You're going to probably want to watch it more than once. But Hebrew is crossed over. That means born again. You're born of the spirit, of water, of the word, of the living word, water, living water, running water. It's all meant to blend together the same idea, the same. It's physical reflections of the spiritual truth. Israel means to is, Israel, I, I don't know the Hebrew word, but it's a conjunction. The last two letters are L. Strives or struggles or wrestles Struggle. with Elohim, Yahweh. So Israel and Hebrew are the same, crossed over. And you've crossed, you're wrestling with Yahweh to try and do it right. That doesn't mean you're ever going to see how he wants you to do it, but you're wrestling with him to try and get it correct. That's the heart he sees. But as soon as you tell him, I'll do it my way. Yes, I'll honor you. I'll worship you, but I'm going to do it my way. You're in rebellion. You know why the church does church on Sunday? The Catholic Church tells you, look it up for yourself sometime. The Catholic Church said they did that to prove that they have dominion over the scriptures. It's the same thing with the rabbis. The rabbis did the Talmud to prove that they have dominion over the scriptures. No, they don't. Neither does the Pope. 
That's Yahweh's living word. It doesn't need anybody to have dominion over it. So what they did was try to prove that they that is Aaron making a golden calf. Yeah, I'm going to worship you, God, but I'm going to do it my way. That doesn't work in scripture. What makes you think it's going to work now? I feel like a bully all of a sudden. <laughs> Preach it, Joe. I don't like being on my soapbox, Charlie. I hate this. Yeah, but you know, sometimes we need to hear it. Yeah, and if I don't say it, it'll burn me up with inside. That's right. Well, um, there's a few things from the board here. If you've sure, we, your we, rant. yeah, I'm, <laughs> all of a sudden, I, I know when I'm done, I feel the wind just. <laughs> okay, what do we have to clean up on the board? Um, well, in an, in an administrative thing, and this is something I'll have to look into. I don't know if we can do it or not because Beverly was asking if there's a place where we can find like this entire series in one place. I don't know if we can make like a playlist on rumble. I'll have to see if that's possible. Um, so that, you know, all these episodes can be put in, you know, in one thing. I know he did a YouTube series on this, but folks, please do not watch that. Um, he's talking to those who've already read his book. And, and that is, that's, if you're going to watch his YouTube, Ellis Schofield's YouTube series, that's going to be like listening, coming in on, on me talking at a high level of how I understand the scriptures without any background information. It, it, you might get pieces of it, but you're going to end up with more headaches than you are answers. Um, the only thing I have for you right now, you can download the slideshow itself. That's in the description here on Rumble. Um, we put the link to that show note. And other than that, we're going to have to see if Charlie can't help put all these videos together. Because if you're going to go through the slide presentation, you need somebody who knows his material well to explain and fill in gaps. You have to. Or you need to read the book. And, and Charlie, you've yes. read the book. You know that I was times. filling in a lot of gaps. Oh, yes. yes. I was filling in a lot of gaps. Yes. Um, that, But he covers it all in the book in great detail. He'll hand walk you through that book. But... It, it, putting these shows in, we'll look into that. We will look into that. Yeah, we'll see if we can do that um, until we get to that. We point. could put it together on uh, on YouTube. We uh, could do that yes, on YouTube. They yes, do let us do collections on YouTube. Yes, we can do a playlist because I think all of these are on yes, YouTube. Yes, these are all on YouTube. That may be the way, yes. It's actually, idea. that's the primary content of our YouTube channel right now. There's only yes. a few spare shows in Right, there. so yeah, let me look at that. That's probably the way we'll be able to do that, Beverly. And a good way, perhaps, we'll see how next week's show goes. Perhaps next week's show would be a good intro for someone, you know. Oh, next week's show is going to be up. Just an overview. And then if they are interested, they can go and watch the slideshows. But but even with that, the best thing to do is read the book. Um, we also have a, a note from Steve uh, Nichols on here if you want. Steve mad at me? No, he's actually not mad at you. He's actually supporting you. You want me to throw it up? Sure. Okay, here we go. Normally I get yelled at. Comment from Steve. Many times I use the method Joe taught me to dive into the scripture to prove him right. Every time I'm successfully proved him right. Now his teachings of scripture specifically on the end times is accepted as completely credible. So to anyone criticizing and condemning Joe, you're not studying, you're rejecting. I trust him. Why? Because I can prove him. Oh, dang, Steve. Thank you, brother. That, that touches my heart, man. Appreciate that. 
Yeah, and uh, oh boy, we get, uh, the board is so busy today. We've got time, um, man. We're only okay, at ten thirty. We, we got time, and this is. I'm a teacher right now. We're we're back in teach mode. If I can't answer the questions you always people have, I'm not doing my job. And I may not get these in order. I'm still catching up here, but I'm going to throw this one up here because it just caught my eye. And there we go. Okay. Coming from Road Dog, do you need to be baptized every time you get saved? Road Dog, that's another really good question. It's called a mikvah. And we have a teaching exactly on that on our Sabbath study. I think I've done it twice now, but I did it once in, in our congregation. And it's on YouTube somewhere. We'll have to see if we can find that for you, too. But the Hebrews did many, many mikvahs throughout their life. You get a mikvah whenever you return to him. If you've been backsliding and you decide to rededicate yourself, you get mikvah again baptized if you decide there's a big change in your life in the hebrew we've got to do the hebrew wedding though they would take a bath the 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 bridal group both the men and the women part of what they would do is they would bathe both the bride and the husband before they came together and in both cases they would put them in a tub and they'd pour water over their head and they would lean forward into the water that's a baptism that's a mikvah they were being mikvah and they leaned forward into it saying i'm leaning into the challenge so anytime that you want to make an atonement for anytime there's a major life change or a, a rededication, it is scripturally acceptable to get baptized again. And, and in their culture, it was all but I mean, it was just pretty much demanded. So, yeah, very good question. And yes, you're, you're free to do it every time. It's, it's a spiritual it's a message to the spirit world around you as well as to, to other believers that are watching you that you're rededicating, you're returning or you're purifying yourself and you're. It, it, your life is continuously being dedicated to Yahweh. You're choosing his side. It's a it's a spiritual symbol of I choose team Yahweh. I'm crossing over. I'm leaving this earthly world again. So hopefully that helps. Sailor son, I don't think there is anything wrong with giving gifts, but incorporating Yeshua into a holy day not ordained by Yahweh is wrong. Decoration and gifts are fine, but worshiping of it is wrong. <sighs> Yeah, it, it, this is something that I know about the Middle East. That's a pagan practice of giving gifts. Um, if you'll read the prophecy, it talks about how the, the pagan world will give gifts when they think that they've, you know, that they're going to look upon the, the corpses of the two witnesses laying dead in the street and they'll give gifts to each other. That's a pagan Middle Eastern tradition. So when we give gifts, we are literally copying a pagan tradition. Islam, when 9-11 happened, they got condemned for, you know, I forget who it was. I think it was actually Trump was yelling about the Muslims handing gifts out in the streets over in the Middle East when we were attacked on 9-11. They were celebrating that and giving gifts to each other. So, yeah, be careful with that. that that's a pagan tradition. Okay, I'm going to hit you with two of them because they're both asking the same question, but I'm going to poke, poke them up there one at a time here. Marianne, problem is where to go to get baptized again. Okay. And this is the other one. Sailor son, who does the baptism? Okay. I'll give you the scriptural way of looking at this as best as I can understand. And you have to go to the cultural practices of the time. First of all, you don't have, you don't need anybody to baptize you. You can baptize yourself and you can go anywhere where there's running water, running water, living water, uh, the ocean, a lake, a river, a stream. That's preferable. If you don't have that, any tub of fresh water is going to work. So, uh, Marianne, <laughs> if you've got a garden tub, you could baptize yourself in your own tub. The idea is to get every bit of yourself under the water. 
And if you're going to go, Lake Talquin would work perfectly. And if you're going to do this, you don't want anybody touching you in the traditions. In the traditions, the Bible doesn't tell you how to get baptized. But in the traditions, you don't want anybody touching you because you want the water to cover every, every inch of yourself. Now, typically, they would have gotten baptized without any clothing on. So I'll be honest with you. If you were in the Jordan River with John the Baptist getting baptized, you had probably dropped all your clothes at the edge of the water. More than likely, you were. And John the Baptist was baptizing in the same location where Israel crossed the Jordan with Joshua to go into the promised land. And if you've seen the actual river, right around the corner is where the women were probably being baptized. Because you can cross, there's a corner right there. When you cross it, you can't see it from where the men would be in being baptized. So they would have been segregated. And th this is just how you want to do it. Now, if you have somebody there, you can have them declare to baptize you. I know that this is an argument within certain groups of the church. You know, do I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son or the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? I don't know. A lot of our Bibles say the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Didachi, which is the sayings and practices of the apostles, that's his name in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I also know that um, the Samaritan, I mean, not the Samaritan, the Somalian who, who gets converted on the road home. You know, the apostle is brought there by the whirlwind and he, he meets him on the chariot. He says, look, there's water. Why can't I get baptized? If he's on his way home in the desert, it's very unlikely that this was enough water for him to get dunked all the way under. And also when Paul gets baptized, if you're reading those passages carefully, more than likely, this was a case of pouring water over your head. So if you don't have water where you can totally immerse yourself, the apostles said it was acceptable to pour water over your head. But if you do that, do it three times, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But that's just the teachings of tradition. Your Bible does not tell you how to do it. The big thing is to be born again spiritually. That's the crossing over. The baptism is important, but that is an outward sign to other believers and to the spirit world around you that you've chosen team Yahweh. Hopefully that answers that question. What else do we have, Charlie? Well, that's all I have at the moment, unless anyone has any uh, alibi uh, questions here as we uh, go along. But uh, thanks for all the questions today. Uh, we, that's why we're here. We, we, we like the questions, and that's what, what we're here for. We're here to, to serve. Teach, so uh, appreciate all the uh, activity on the uh, chats today. And see, we didn't even have a phone call. Gee. Well, you turn the phone off. It's Wednesday. Well, yeah, it is. Phone's it supposed is to off. be off. I get, well, actually, it's on, but but people use the chat, you know, and we didn't have any. Yeah, if you're on the approved list, we don't mind you calling on Wednesdays. Yeah. I'm and the whole reason, folks, just so that if you're wondering, the reason for that approval list is it's it's the only way that I can afford a system that where you can call in, but we don't have the money to set up a system that allows Charlie to screen the call and then pass it to me. I don't have that type of cash right now. And I'm not asking for it. No, 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 no. The system we have now works. It's working. And what he's doing now is if you're a known, and it's if you're brand new to the class, all I need or all Charlie wants is somebody else in the class who knows you to vouch for you. Say, yeah, I, I you know, like if you were Sailor Sun and he invited his daughter or something. He goes, yeah, that's my daughter. She's cool. We'll take your word for it. You're a cl known class member. If yeah. you vouch for that person, we'll accept this. We just don't want. We don't want Satan's children calling into this yeah. show all the time, just disrupting the thing. And if you've been, you know, uh, writing in the chat, you know, like 
road dog i don't know if i have his phone number in the thing i don't think i do but if he wanted to call in all you got to do is send an email and say i'm road dog and uh we'll, we'll get you hooked up yeah it may turn out that you end up lying to us but we'll figure that out oh, oh most of you oh, we you, know who you, you are you do that and lie to us oh we we will we will we'll hand, you. we'll hand you back over to Bo Weevil. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, we will. And if you know who he is, you don't want to be on his. He's list. our black hack, black hat hacker. In yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. have photo senses. Yeah, we don't have make them senses. single. Natasha. <laughs> oh, so, all right, guys, we love each and every one of you. We thank you for being here. We hope and pray that we were able to serve you and to edify you and lift you up and lighten your day and answer your questions um, next Wednesday. Yeah, we'll we'll tighten all of this up. We've got a lot of lessons. Uh, um, we're going to have to start working some of those into the rest of the week. Um, and there are certain scriptural lessons that I want to teach that we might teach on a Tuesday because they apply to life in general as well. So we might have some bonus classes, maybe a one hour scripture class. That's also something that we can apply to our life, whether we're believers or not. And it's hope is that even if you're not converted, crossed over, that if you're listening to this show, at least hopefully you're wrestling with him. Because I'll be honest with you. The scripture says many are called, few are chosen. If you're called, you can see capital T truth. I believe Ayn Rand was called. She just wasn't chosen because she didn't accept. She didn't convert. She didn't cross over. But you cannot see capital T truth unless you're called. Being called doesn't mean that you're going to cross over. That's on you. Yahweh gives you free will. So for the rest of you, stay safe. Take care of yourselves. We love you. We're glad you were here. We're thankful to see you. We'll see you tomorrow. Conspiracy Theory Thursday or Throwback Thursday. Hang on. We're still going to be dealing with those Marxists. See you then.